Considering the role technology will play in the future of education is now a key focus for school leaders. At Exertus Ireland, together with Microsoft, we're here to support schools every step of the way with powerful tools to help create brighter futures. Talk to us today about solutions for your school. Visit exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. The Hard Shoulder on News Talk with the all new Nissan Qashqai. Now electrified with mild hybrid power. See Nissan.ie. Thank you very much. Aim and time now for another edition of In Our Defence. Maureen Gavin Dow tells us all about a case from Irish legal history, which on the face of it may seem like a peculiarity or an oddity, but in fact has ramifications that we all feel on a day-to-day basis, even though we might not realise it. Gavin, an interesting one today, because I'd wager everybody out there has used and uses the phrase squatter's rights Mm. at some stage. Uh, Very few probably understand the law behind it, and that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Indeed. Squatter's rights actually exist in law. And it might be first where it's, you know, considering why do we have squatter's rights? Well, I guess with the the nature of land, you know, it's a scarce resource. We can't make more land as much as we'd like to. The Dutch have done it with polders. But, you know, generally on a big scale, we can't create more land. And it's, you know, it's fundamental for human development. We need it for habitation, obviously. We need it for growing crops to feed people. So there's an interest in distributing a scarce resource like land uh, among society and distributing the the resources that way. Uh, Other people would see squatters' rights as pure land theft, and we'll come to it in context when we discuss the case in a couple of uh, minutes' time. But basically what the law is in Ireland is if you squat for a period of 12 years, continuously and uninterrupted, and you assert some kind of physical control over the land and you intend to exclude the actual owner of the land from getting onto the land or using the land, then you can become the owner of the land. All right. So get in there, keep it for 12 years and it's yours. That's yeah. it at, the ve- at, the, at its most basic. At its most simple. That's what it is. Now, up until that 12 year period is over, you're a trespasser. So the owner can call the guards on you. The owner can sue you civilly. But once you've gotten past the 12 years, once the clock hits the 12 year mark, you're the owner of the land. All right. So listen, there's lots of questions about how you, I suppose, evidence the fact that you're, you know, you're excluding the owner. Does the owner have to know about it? We, we'll try to answer those questions by going through the case at hand. What is the case? The case is that of Mr. Dunn, who uh, decided to possess a bit of land by Clondalkin Railway Station in Dublin. So this was a triangular piece of land. It was about three acres in size. It was wedged in between the train station uh, a housing estate and a scrappage business, and it was owned by CIE, who who run um, the trains. The obviously, bra- one of the a classic brownfield site. There was just nothing in this. No use. It was kind of scrubland, and he decided he'd take some of the horses from the local housing estate, and some ducks, and some chickens, and some animals, and he'd look after them on the on the the land. So he built some structures there uh, to keep the animals in. And over a thirty year period between 19, 1977 and two thousand and seven, he said, "I was in possession of this land." Uh, give it to me, basically, CIE. So he sued them. All right. Okay. So what what did he do then? You you say you've got to uh, keep the owner, the registered owner, off the land. What did he do to to assert that level of ownership? Well, generally, the things they'd look for you to do are yet yeah, to use the land to some to some okay. extent. So to either put up fences around it to keep other people out, or to keep the owner out, or to do something with the land. So in this case, it was mostly involved uh, with you know as I, as I mentioned, keeping animals on the land and tending to horses on the land, but. 
you have to look at this 30 year period between 1977 to 2007 because within this there's two 15 year periods mm. which the court kind of focused in on the first 15 years there was an issue because while he was using the land to keep his own horses other people were also using the land to keep their horses. It became ah. this kind of communal patch of land. Local children from the housing estate used to run onto it and play on it. And uh, people from the housing estate used to use it as a shortcut to get to the train station. So really, it was more like a communal piece of land. It wasn't a piece of land that he was exclusively All possessing. Right. Okay, so he didn't exclusively possess it and he made no real attempts to exclusively possess it, to exclude anyone from it. So the first 15 years... Out the window. Yeah. What about the second 15 Second years? 15 years, he also ran into problems because at this point, CIE must have remembered that they owned the land or started to go onto the land. Okay. Um, now, the, the question arose as to what extent does a person who owns the land have to actually use the land, have to assert their ownership? And there was a case from a couple of years earlier, which was down in Cork, I believe, where somebody who lived abroad and had inherited a piece of land didn't use the land at all, but every so often would come back to Ireland, park beside the land and look over the fence into the land. And the court said, that's actually enough as a landowner to show that you're asserting your ownership. Okay. Even though the person hadn't even gone onto the land, they were just standing next to it. So they kind of applied that logic to this case and CIE and their employees had been on the land a good few times in the second half of the the 30-year period. They had been there to repair fences on the land. They were doing work on the station next door and they had to come onto the land to facilitate that work. So ultimately, Mr. Dunn didn't exclusively possess the land and uh, he didn't exclude the true owner's CIE from from using the land. So that was kind of fatal to his case. Okay, so his case ultimately fails uh, for a number of different reasons. In order for it to succeed, maybe that's a kind of a good way to mm. approach this so people can understand how you end up being successful in, in asserting squatters' rights. What could he or should he have done? Well, he should have probably put a fence up around okay. the land. He should have done something to stop other people from getting on the land, both other people in the local area and CIE itself. I, this is not, I'm not giving people advice no, no, on, on how jumping to seize, into your neighbour's garden here now. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it's, it's to understand, uh, you know, wh- wh- where, where these cases failed. Um, yeah, well, Kieran, you know, a lot of these cases, this is kind of an unusual case because this involved Mr. Dunn saying, there's a whole field and I, I want that whole field. But typically these arise in less dramatic circumstances where you have, let's say I have a field next to your field, but it's unclear where my field ends and your field starts. Yes. And I start using a bit of your field and you only realise that it was actually your field after the 12-year period. That's how a lot of these things happen. So, you know, like like your in-laws, you don't get to pick your neighbours and it's generally neighbourly disputes that give rise to these other Yeah, and cases. every solicitor in Ireland will have uh, uh, files full of cases of, of land registry maps that don't actually correspond with the maps that exist in of real course. life and boundaries that exist. And actually, there's a, there's a fence where there should never be a fence. Yes. Um, and this type of thing. I mean, in that situation, uh, let, let's ex- imagine you and I are neighbours and um, I go to sell my house or I'm, I'm just kind of tidying up affairs and I realise, God, uh, I actually own the back triangle of Gavin's garden. That that has always been mine but Gavin has been cutting that grass and there's a fence off and he's got a dog in there and whatever it happens to be. I mean, and, and you've been doing that for 20 years. I mean, in that situation are you the owner through adverse possession of that land? I only found out about it today. Do I have to have known about it? Do you have to be kind of keeping me uh, out of the land with my knowledge. 
if you don't know you own the land, I think that is actually a defence uh, as the landowner. Ah, right. So there are a few kind of loopholes. It doesn't seem as generous as as it originally uh, seems. Uh, but yeah, people hear this and they think, well, this might allow people to calculatedly steal land from other people. But in actual fact, no. The the requirements are, it sets a pretty high bar for you as the squatter. You yeah. have to use the land uh, and the landowner, you don't even really have to use the land. You just have to as I gave the example earlier, merely visit the land yeah. occasionally and assert some kind of ownership uh, over uh, it. In that, that situation, for you and me to be neighbours, in order for you to be successful, that I would have to have known for the 12 years that I owned that land, I owned that back triangle, and done nothing with it and, mm-hmm. and been absolutely happy for you to to cultivate and do whatever you happen to want to do on that land, um, which is, I, I imagine is a rare occurrence. I would imagine it's rare. <laughs> no one wants to give away their land for no. free, but there was an interesting case from England, and this went all the way to the European Court of Human Rights uh, because they had to consider, are squatters' rights consistent with property rights? Mm. And this was a case where a, a factory owner had land next to farmers and over many decades allowed the farmers to... to um, to use a bit of his land yeah. to, to farm. And they had an agreement about that and they paid a small rent. And then the agreement ended, but the farmers kept on farming on the land yeah. and it went on and on over a 12-year period. And the parcel of land belonging to the factory owners was actually worth £10 million. Wow, okay. And the farmers tried to claim it as theirs and they were successful, ultimately. And the factory owners, as you can imagine, figuring out it was worth £10 million, uh, did everything in their power to stop it, went all the way to the European Court of Human Rights and said, squatters' rights are inconsistent with our property rights to own our land and we shouldn't be under any obligation to mm. do anything with land um, that we own. Uh, the very fact that we own it uh, should allow us to do anything with it or nothing with it if we wish. And the court said, yes, squatters' rights are actually a breach of property rights, but because of all the things I said earlier about you know, sharing resources around society and making sure that land is used productively, ah, right. uh, it's a justified restriction. The, on there's a public rights. interest in 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 getting the most out of the land, the limited resource uh, that we have. That exactly. was probably I probably should have asked you if there was a case that you could point to, uh, uh, as opposed to talking about our hypothetical back gardens <laughs> uh, overlapping. Well, and, and that's like probably specifics. Yeah. and that, that's probably a good one, uh, wherein the owners of the land they knew the farmers were on their land and they were not getting any rent for it. They knew they were trespassing, and the mm. farmers knew they were trespassing. And nobody did anything about it. And after 12 years, they tried to do something about it. Yes, it was too late. late. So it's use it or lose it, basically, for the landowner. Well, listen, that's uh, interesting. And I'm sure people at home now, delighted to know exactly uh, what the law is when they assert squatters' rights. Not sure (laughs) if it applies to the uh, the TV remote control. But anyway, uh, before you go, the legal question of the week. On what grounds might a person be refused bail? This is something that's come up in in the news recently over over past week. So I thought it would be an interesting Mm. one to address. So between when you're charged with a a serious offence and when you're eventually found guilty and sentenced or acquitted and and obviously let free, um, you can be detained. Now, this is a controversial thing because we've talked about the presumption of innocence before, which says that before you're found guilty, you're presumed innocent. So it would be grossly unfair, most would think, to detain somebody, put some jail somebody, basically, before they've been ever found guilty. So this is why we allow for people to get bail, which uh, allows them to be free during that time period. Uh, well, Basically, the main concern is that somebody might be what's known as a flight risk, that they might leave the country to evade justice 
before actually going on trial. So the court will consider things like how serious is the offence, how much evidence do they have. The more evidence they have, the more likely the person will be found guilty and the more likely that they might try and run away, essentially. Mm. And whether or not they are likely to maybe commit a criminal offence while they're out on bail because there have been some high-profile examples of that. Yeah. Um, so these are all the factors that are that are considered uh, to make the decision. Uh, that There is a... a tradition uh, here or maybe a culture within the judiciary that uh, there should be a high bar before you refuse bail. A higher bar than might exist in the United States, for example. They're much more Certainly. likely across the pond to keep people locked up until trial dates. We, we, we are reluctant. The judiciary here are reluctant to do it. Your liberty is is everything, Kieran, and certainly before you have been found guilty of any offence, when you're merely being put on trial, um, it would seem quite unfair to most people that you'd be uh, detained. Uh, What are we looking at next week, Av? Next week, it's uh, an age-old moral question, uh, which has a legal answer. Mm. Um, What about this situation? Stealing food from a shop to feed your starving children. (sighs) What's the law's answer to that? Oh, that is a good one. Do you have a defence? That is a good one. I look forward to it. Half past five next Tuesday here on The Hard Shoulder. Gavin Dowd, pleasure as always. You can listen back to all previous editions of In Our Defence. They're up on the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud. Stay with us. We'll have all your business news. That's coming up next. The Hard Shoulder on News Talk with the all-new Nissan Qashqai, now electrified with mild hybrid power. See Nissan.ie 